0: Now it's time to be educated and entertained by the country's most famous environmental scientist. Joey B. has researched grizzly bears, wolves, and birds of prey. He continues to travel all across America to bring you the very best that nature has to offer. Be ready to be amazed. Here's your host, Joey B.
1: Hello and welcome to Joey B. Outdoor Science and Nature. Man, do I have the coolest job. I travel all across America to bring you the very best That nature has to offer. Today's show is all about organic gardening, and I've got the man today to talk all about it. Inspector Dave, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Joey B. Always fun to be with you on the podcast show.
1: Well, you know what? Every time you're with us, we always learn something. So I just wanted our audience to understand a little bit about you and organic gardening. So how long have you been doing this?
0: It's been 40 years now, you know, started when I got married, Diane wanted tomatoes. And so I started planting tomatoes and it was all craziness from there on, just went into everything about gardening and organics is definitely the way to go.
1: Well, do you do a lot of research to find out, you know, like explain about that. So someone else who's looking to become an organic gardener, how do they do this?
0: Well, following organic practices is actually fairly easy to do in terms of research is just everywhere. I have all kinds of books and magazines that I read throughout the year. And I reread them, too, because there's so much to know just to reinforce some of the practices that I follow. Uh, online, you can go on your computer, do website researches, sign up for newsletters. Uh, there's just so many areas to to research organic practices and following them when you're doing a garden.
1: All right. Well, that's actually a good answer for someone who's looking to go there. Well, on this show today, we want to discuss the positives and negatives in our organic gardens this year, both yours and mine. The problems that I have with my young and somewhat rushed garden because moving onto the farm and building many raised beds took so much time. So let's talk about your garden this year. What are some of your successes in your garden?
0: Well, keeping the critters out (laughs) is the main thing. That's always a big success when I can control the critters a little bit because they undo a lot of your hard work. I've been doing very well with certain crops, and I grow a variety of crops specifically because of the weather conditions and soil conditions. Some things do better other years, uh, and there's off years. Like Eggplants have been great this year. string beans have been great. Uh, Zephyr squash. I found a new radish I'm growing. And I finally got my sugar snap peas to bounce back to where I wanted them to be super productive. So those have been great this year. I've been really happy with the production and the uh, of the plants and seeing the disease you know, reduction that has been great too. So they're really growing nicely.
1: Well, you know it's funny uh, when I saw you last week, you had given me a number of your radishes, and I got home and they are tasty. They're. They are super. I, I I like those. Had a little spice, we'll say to it, a little heat to them. Uh, and again, and you know me and hot peppers and all. So adding that little kick to those radishes was real nice. Now, you changed this year with some of your um, eggplants and uh, variety, correct?
0: Yes, this year there was a a problem with eggplant with my supplier that I normally get them from. So I I went locally and I went to two different nurseries and I bought twice as many eggplants as I normally buy because I was unsure what I was going to get. And it turns out all six plants took off tremendously. I have a Asian long, they call it, and those are doing spectacular. And it was supposed to be Italian little fingers. But I think they were mismarked because they don't look like Italian little fingers. I just picked them small. Eggplants can be picked as soon as the skin is shiny. That means they're able to be picked. So you can pick them in any size that you want. You don't have to let them go to be among us eggplants.
1: And that's that's a great uh, tip for everyone, just looking for the shiny eggplant. And do you notice a difference in taste from like... Uh, the money makers, the millionaires that you're used to growing. Those are two, by the way, for our listening audience, those are two other varieties of eggplants.
0: Well, the money maker was always the top eggplant. That always got the best reviews from people that I shared them with and uh, with myself. The, the Asian longs are good. Um, it's just the shape of them, I think. Some people, depending on how they process them, some people stuff them, some people slice them and make eggplant parmesan. So there's different. Reasons It's more the shape, I guess, of the flavor. Eggplant itself isn't super flavorful. It's all the things you cook it with that add the flavor to it.
1: Yeah, well, you know what? I, And this is from uh, cousin Jimmy Toots, who you know well. I made uh, eggplant parm this past week from some of his eggplants, and it was out of this world. But like you're saying, it depends on the sauce and the cheeses and the things that you put along with it. And again, if you're using organic cheese um, and an organic sauce, and an organic eggplant, then there is no better meal. So uh, that is something that, you know, I really was enjoying this week. Now, you already know me so well, me with chili peppers, my TAMs. um, TAM stands for Texas A&M because that's where they were um, created. And the pepperoncinis that many people buy in jars, I wanted to grow them this year myself and jar them myself to see if I could get those to taste like the same store-bought ones, but I won't know that till the middle of the winter because that's when I open my first jars of peppers. And another one of my successes, and have, I grew large sunflowers and some of the stalks are literally nine feet tall. And then the small, which are about two, probably three feet tall. And those sunflowers, they remind me very much so of when you're out west um, in Montana, Wyoming, Utah, et cetera, sunflowers just grow wild along the roadside and it's just a beautiful sight. So I sort of grew them because of my research out west and all, and they've been doing well. The Mexican sunflowers of which I know that you grow in the garden and you turn me on to, um, they are also probably nine feet tall and stems and stalks growing elsewhere. And a uh, question for you. Why do you grow the Mexican sunflowers?
0: Well, first, they're fun to look at. And its th- I find it the miracle of this tiniest little seed grows into this nine-foot-tall plant. And that's still, to this day, I'm amazed like a little kid that something that small can germinate and grow that big. But I bring them in for the pollinators because you always want to have flowers and herbs in your garden to bring pollinators in to pollinate your plants. So these attract butterflies, all kinds of bees. And then eventually at the end of the season, as the flowers start to dry, then the birds will come in the winter birds and they'll start feeding on the plant. So it's really a, a very long-term plant. I plant them by seed early in May and they'll go right through the frost. So you have, you get to look at them all summer long and into the fall. Beautiful plants, a beautiful, bright orange flower.
1: Yeah, and I actually, because in the pack of seeds that I bought, there was a mix with yellow. So most of mine are orange. And then there's one plant with yellow, but the orange just seems to pop so, so bright. And uh, I believe I told you on the phone the other day that I had a hummingbird zipping overhead on top of them, uh, which is just a neat thing as well. And this show was brought to you by Ramsey Outdoor Stores. Whether you shop online or one of their stores, your experience will successfully gear you up for your next adventure. Go to RamseyOutdoor.com. Now, Inspector Dave, here's a question for you because I mentioned beginning part of the show that you know the, the garden for me this year very much rushed because you know, it's like you're trying to build all these raised beds, different sizes, and one day we'll get into why we build different size beds and all. But I added bumper crop to a couple of those new beds. And I want to know what is bumper crop and how long does it take to break down?
0: Okay. Bumper crop is a commercial product. It's a soil amendment product, which means that you're using it to build up your soil and it's made up of a lot of different ingredients. There's peat moss, aged wood fiber, cured compost. There's bark in there, lobster meal, worm castings, kelp, poultry manure, And then endo and ectonomy core fungi is in there too. And it's listed by the OMRI Institute, which is they approve organic materials and it comes in a big bag. It's like really black looking soil. And it's designed to be added into your existing garden beds to amend the soil, uh, to add nutrients and to help balance the pH in there.
1: Well, you know, I added, uh, again, it was, getting late to plant because of all that was going on. I added it. Um, I really didn't give it a good mixing in with the soil. Because again, I put some soil that was inside there. Um, Soil that was on the farm. uh, I put inside there and put that on. And I'm sure the top layer where I planted seed, especially was the bumper crop. And the corn, the pumpkins, and the zephyr squash didn't grow well in the bumper crop. But the Swiss chard did until, the, by the way, until the groundhog mowed down the Swiss chard. Um, are there reasons for that You know, growing probably primarily in more bumper crop than soil?
0: Right. It's not designed to be for a medium for seed. It's designed to be a soil amendment. So it has to be rototilled in or dug in by hand or whichever way you incorporate it into your existing beds and the existing soil that's there. And given time to Uh, Break down All organics, that's the the one thing you got to remember with organics. They are a little slower than people who use chemicals. Chemicals are fast. That's why people like them. But organics are a little slower, but it's much better for nature, much better for your plants, much better for you. So whenever you're using things, whether it's bumper crop or other materials, such as soil amendments, you have to give them time to work their way in and break down and and find their their balance within the soil. And soil testing is important too. You can take samples of your soil and send it out to Rutgers or another soil testing laboratory and have your soil tested to see exactly what nutrients are lacking, what ones may be too high, testing the pH. pH is very important too. And that's something I keep telling people, the pH when you're doing amendments or you have soil, you have to know what the pH is and you have to keep it in the good range. 6.2 6.2 to 6.5, 6.6 for most plants, unless you're doing a lot of tomatoes then you want to stay a little more acid. But the pH, that can take time for that to rebalance too. So you want to make sure that you you know what you're working with on the soil. You can't just, I'm going to add all this, dig it in, and then I'm going to plant and I'm going to have the, the soap, most super crops in the world. It doesn't work that way. You have to be a little more scientific about it.
1: Well, I think, uh, especially me being a scientist, it was a little less scientific, but again, it had to do with the time element there. And uh, one of the things that grew well, and you already know that I can't have lots of fruits and vegetables with a lot of acid in them. um, So I can't have many tomatoes, but I grew the variety big boy this year. They did well. And let me tell you, there is nothing better tasting than a garden tomato. And I'll share this story with you because we were uh, going out biking as a family, came back to my home, and Gabby said to me, because I said, actually, people were there. uh, We were about to eat. And I said, this is the first tomato of the season. Let's cut it up so we can all enjoy it. And Gabby said, what's the difference between a garden tomato and a store-bought tomato? And like it was almost like every adult in a room was going, wait, whoa, 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 whoa Uh, because you know i guess she's used to tomatoes in salsa or something like that instead of just biting into a garden tomato what's your thought about garden tomatoes
0: well the the secret to garden tomatoes is first you're controlling the environment you're growing it in Uh, picking the type of plant that you have had good experience with hopefully or reads well in the magazine when you're picking your plants and it's the the ripening the vine ripening i mean you're leaving the tomato or the fruit on there right to the very end so it's getting the maximum amount of, of juiciness and flavor and nutrition because it's vine ripened that's what really what it's all about you can't have vine ripened in the store generally because they would spoil before you would have a chance to ship them and buy them
1: yeah well you know what and i, and I mentioned this before we went on uh, to record here i had a hornworm on yesterday on the tomato plants the first one that i found um, so we had to take him off that plant. Now, the problem I've been running into this year is with the mighty groundhog. had this problem um, on my former home uh, near your property, and he loves, and I know this. he loves purple comb flowers. like I used to have the front of my home just adorned in purple comb flowers, which happens to be my favorite perennial flower. Um, I put some in the garden this year. He mowed those down. I was surprised he loves marigolds. And I had some beautiful, I planted from seed. I had some small marigolds, well, you know, small variety of the flower itself, but the plants were two 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 and a half feet tall and he mowed them down. I was surprised at that. Have you had any problems with that?
0: Well, I do a lot of critter control here. I keep an electric shock fence on the perimeter of my garden. And then the outer yard is also fenced in with chain link and bushes and gates. So I have good intrusion protection on the yard and then really heavy duty uh, around the garden itself with the shock fence. So that keeps them at bay there. They don't even really come into the yard. I rarely see a groundhog in the yard anymore because there's nothing, you know, they got a bad, taste, of, or a bet, not a taste, but they got a shock from the fence, and they don't really find anything that they want to eat. They want to eat the good stuff, the same stuff we like to eat. Marigolds is interesting because generally you plant those as deterrents, uh, plus they attract bees and other uh, pollinators too, but generally marigolds are pretty resistant to critter attack, but you never know, you get certain critters that just develop a taste for something for some reason or a variety that you have. Uh, but you you gotta be willing to do combat if you're gonna have a garden with the critters, yeah. You know, so being a farmer, it's all about.
1: Oh yeah, oh, you know. So, but this also being a drought year, sometimes critters were looking for moisture will just bite onto a plant because you know there's moisture inside that plant too. So you may be just saying, hey, I need a little bit of extra H2O, and that's a way of getting it. So I have another question. Um, my millionaire eggplant. Last year, it got bombarded by Japanese beetles, and I have the Japanese beetle traps and, you know, was able to. This year, there was a number of insects on them, and I really couldn't catch the insect, but there was always tiny, small holes in the leaves. What would be your um, ideas on how to prevent that from happening?
0: Well, the main thing is to keep healthy plants, because unhealthy plants attract, you know, bad bugs and stuff, So, and the healthier the plant is the more it can outgrow any damages that may occur. You're always going to get some damage to a plant. You won't have a a plant that's totally pest free. Uh, I had a lot of scale on mine this year. Those are tiny little like white flies. And it might just be this cloud of things coming around. So some sticky traps near there uh, help to control them a little bit. And then I also thought about, I do the copper soap spray as a fungicide and mildew side and all that to protect the plants and it feeds the plants, but it's also got the soap component in it, which can help break down the skin of of these pests and I can control them. So I sprayed them a few times and the the eggplants, my plants are like six foot tall now is the craziest year I've ever had for eggplants, a little kelp uh, on the foliar feeding. That's another thing you can do too, because you can change the taste of the leaves maybe with the kelp, according to the books. So a a kelp foliar spray, you know, can also be a a good way to help control some of these pests on there.
1: All right, and thank you for that. Now, have you had any specific problems in your garden this year?
0: Well, because it's been so dry and hot, the, the rating of the tomatoes by birds and chipmunks and whoever else looking for moisture has been extreme this year. I have netting over the tomatoes now, too, but there's still something getting in there. Um, So I lose about half my tomatoes this year. But, you know, that's with the drought that we're having, that's kind of understood. And then the way the weather was this year, the early part of the season was kind of cool, very wet, so very cloudy. So the early crops that need a lot of sun and most plants need six to eight hours of sun a day, they were very slow. And then the plants that came out a little later, cause I stagger my crops you know, I do succession planting on pretty much everything. So the later version of the corn, let's say the beans, they did better than the early versions because they had more sunshine. And as long as we were able to keep them watered and I had the irrigation system with the gravity barrels and the subsurface irrigation. So I was able to keep my water um, pretty leveled in this garden this year. And then I have the, the mulches that I use, the colored mulches, They keep the moisture in the soil. So I've been able to keep a decent amount of moisture in there for the later blooming crops here. And they're producing the corn is really spectacular now. The ears are just like something out of a a picture book. They're so beautiful to look at. Um, Other things, the cukes shut down early this year. I had some really great diva cukes early on. But with the heat, you know, once you start getting above 90 degrees, the pollen on a lot of plants starts to break down. The bees aren't working maybe quite as hard. I mean, they're working, but they're, we're not getting good pollination on the plants. So you, I did find that my cube shut down um, and then the early corn. To, the peppers this year, were. I had to take a couple of my plants out because they had disease. Uh, my neighbors had the same problem. They had a lot of, I think there's a problem with the pepper plants this year. So the only thing I have growing is sweet banana peppers. Uh, they're still doing okay. And hornworms, when you're looking for hornworms, going back to them, because they can be hard to find because they're green and blend in well. Look for little black pellets on, on your plant, like on the leaves that's hornworm poop. And they'll be right above that. It's a good way to, to track them if you want to look for them.
1: Uh, that's actually very interesting. And since the last week when I stopped by and beekeeper Jim was on your property. So before we close out this show, I was amazed. How much honey did beekeeper Jim take out of your hive?
0: I got over 40 pounds of honey out of my hive.
1: Now, I, I was just like, again, and I've known Jim, some of you, for a long time, great beekeeper. And I had no idea that um, from one hive he can actually harvest that, that much honey. And he recognizes that he's got to leave some so that the bees have enough honey to survive on for the wintertime too. So there really is more than that. I was pretty amazed at that. That was pretty neat.
0: Yes. Yeah. He's been happy. Um, the hot weather, the bees actually like it hot because the nectar flows a little more freely so they can work a little faster doing their little job in there, converting all their pollen and nectar and all that into honeys and stores and all that. So he's been having a pretty good year. Just got to control the hive beetles and the, esophageal mites the usual things and worry about people with their pesticides and all that there's still tons of pressure on the honeybees you know so we got to do our part to keep organic areas available for them so that they at least have a a healthy zone to be in
1: absolutely well you know inspector Dave, there's still a lot more picking to do uh this season will roll on uh i am excited to again Every morning and every early evening, I'm in back in the garden just checking it out. Um, how about you?
0: Every day. You got to go out every day and check you know, the harvest because things hide out there and you don't want the squash to get too big or the eggplant to get too big. Smaller produce is always a little more flavorful and more tender and easier to deal with and easier to give away. You know, if you walk, start walking around with three-foot squash trying to give them away, people start avoiding you and blocking the <laughs> doors and all that. So you don't want to. Be one of those people, so I try to pick everything small, uh, just easier for people to deal with. And you know, most people I know, you know, feeding one or two people, they're not feeding a family of ten, so they don't need the giant uh, produce. But we we do well; we grow enough for ourselves and enough to share around. You know, to some friends and neighbors, and I have one or two restaurants that uh, work with them, and and they s- take certain most of the eggplant. Eggplant's the biggest thing to try and share that that people. Because I gain so much, my six plants, I probably pick, I don't know, 80 or 100 eggplant off. And really, I, I'm not exaggerating, the plants are that productive. You know, and again, I pick them small, so the plants keep going. See, the more you pick, the more the plant will keep producing, because it's going to try and make more seed and more fruit to try and perpetuate itself. So the smaller you pick your, your vegetables, the more production you will continue to get, you know, out of the plant.
1: No, and, and, and I'm agreeing with you on what you just said. Um, I was out there earlier this morning, and I picked crazy amounts of TAMs, crazy amounts of pepperoncinis, besides bell peppers and tomatoes, et cetera, um, that are ready now for a jarring afternoon today. So uh, I will be going on that. So, Inspector Dave, I just wanted to thank you because every time you're on this show, you impart some knowledge. We learn something from you. And when I say something, it's many things from you. So thank you for being on the show today.
0: Okay. Thanks for having me. And thanks for keeping this venue going so we can share our information and our experiences with uh, other people, either new gardeners or gardeners that have been doing it for years. There's always something to learn. I'm still learning, too. Yeah, after That's what life years. is
1: about. Life is about learning. Uh, absolutely. Until next time, enjoy life's adventures. You can follow all of my adventures online at joeyb.tv. That's J-O-E-Y-B-E.tv. And a very special thank you to the men and women of our armed forces for keeping us free and for our police and firefighters for keeping us safe. May God bless America. Until next time, this is Joey B. Enjoy life's adventures.